Welcome to the podcast Consultancy Elite. This podcast is hosted by M2 Advisory and presented by Marlene Sumaharjo. We engage with our elite consultants across the world discussing business strategies, future solutions, macroeconomic developments, and personal beliefs. The following episode is taken from a Clubhouse session. Well, dear everyone, good morning and welcome to our club, Clubhouse Back. Today we're welcoming and are very honored to interview a very special guest. Before I let him on the stage and introduce himself, I would like to share my thoughts about this guest. We met, I think, 15 years ago as colleagues at, K- at KPMG. And here I got to meet this enthusiastic, passionate, intelligent, and result-driven consultant. Now, years ago, we meet again on Clubhouse, sharing our stories and career paths in this club. We both run our own companies, separately from KPMG, and from here we would like to share our business mindset on Clubhouse. I really love this powerful way of connecting um, and sharing. So please let me introduce my guest, Mr. Sander Den Hartog. Sander is director and owner of a software company based in the Netherlands. His company, Cost Perform, focuses on delivering cost-effective solutions and contributing to the mindset of cost-efficiency thinking globally. Sander will elaborate more on in, more in depth about the company and their mission, of course. So please be welcome, Sander. So hello, Sander. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, kind introduction. I think it was indeed about 15 years ago. I was wondering this morning, how many years has it been? Yeah, probably. And I, I, I found it hard to remember because I thought, was there any project that I can really remember that we were engaged upon together? Can you remember any of the projects together? Not together, but we were sitting in the room together. We were both connected in the room with Bert, I think, uh, or in the club with Bert. And from here, your uh, your uh, expertise were more on the cost, um, cost uh, performances, and I was more on the uh, program management side. So we had exactly, yeah. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's what I remember. And what I remember, and that might be an interesting story, uh, when I was thinking about it this morning, I was like, I always envisioned you as like this in this pretty brutal, harsh consulting world. You were like this beacon of kindness, person around, and maybe somewhat overlooked, and that has nothing to do with your height. Uh, but somewhat, somehow, in this uh, world where uh, what I would say uh, uh, more ego male people uh, were working around, there was always like this person like yourself that was uh, always kind enough for a, cheer, for a chat and uh, a talk. Uh, that, that, that is my, my main remembrance from your side. Oh, wow, that's very lovely to hear. Because <laughs> I saw that you're, when you came in the room, you were just very vividly, everyone was just quiet and you were always, well, very much <laughs> around and also very much well outspoken, right? I think that was a very uh, good combination. Um, so, well, I'm, again, thank you for joining us. And just please follow and introduce yourself. What happened when you, uh, I left uh, KPMG, um, from there on, I already started my own company, but I think you just stayed a little bit longer. And as, as I saw in your resume, uh, you came back a little bit later, but please do, do share with us what, what happened since yeah. then. Yeah, let me, let me tell you a little bit how that worked. Um, when I worked at KPMG, I was mainly involved in this uh, consulting part, mainly already on cost and performance issues. 
but after four and a half, five years of consulting, and probably most of you who have ever been a consulting probably remember that or uh, recognize that, is that you'd like to be on the other end of the table at one point. Uh, you're a little bit wary of having all these reports uh, sitting down in desks and you thought, oh, it's time that they really do something with the reports that you make. So I got approached by a private investment bank, uh, Bing Bank, which is for uh, individuals who'd like to speculate on the uh, exchange. And uh, I joined that and I stayed there for, I think, four years. And that was so different from your consulting experience in a sense that all of a sudden I had to manage people instead of that you had to manage professionals. These were like, yeah, just normal people working around to having their nine to five jobs, which is yeah, typically a little bit different than a consultancy environment. And secondly, what also happened, all of a sudden you had like these repetitive tasks that were coming around. Every year you have a budget, every year uh, you have a discussion on that budget, uh, every year you have the discussion with your employees. Uh, and, and that was something completely new for me because in a consulting world, every three months you have a different project. And I remember one of my former colleagues uh, always used to say there are two beautiful days in a consulting project. That's the first day because everything is fantastic, shiny and new. And it is the last day because you'll never have to see those people again. <laughs> so uh, uh, and that is completely different uh, when I joined Bank. But I soon found out that after, uh, what is it, after a, uh, a period of four, three to four years, the whole repetitive thing was not really for me. Uh, I, I remembered myself that like, like the first year, everything is new. The second year, you thought, oh, this year I'm going to do it better than last year. Then the third year, you thought, oh, haven't I gone through this before? And then the last year, you think, oh, no, not again. Uh, so that's when I decided, no, I have to get back to my consulting life. And I made a change. I went back to KPMG, but in a completely different area. I joined the very strong healthcare division of KPMG in the Netherlands that was just uh, acquired uh, within KPMG. And there were a lot of bright people. And I was like all of a sudden into this new pool of people full of energy. And the funny thing was, all of a sudden, within the first week, I thought, how is it possible that I can work this hard? I can do so many things in a week. But what happened, the fast pace of consulting that all left me when I was rolling around in the pace of a normal company. And, uh, and I realized quickly, oh, this is the pace I want. And so I spent another five years on consulting, completely different healthcare strategy things, but still a uh, uh, consulting part. And then I decided to leave KPMG uh, because my wife got this very beautiful, good job. And I uh, uh, decided that I would take care of the children a little bit more than she did. And so I decided to take a year off and I had some sporting ambitions as well, because as you said, I am full of energy and I really wanted to take, uh, uh, take that energy for granted. And I did uh, several Ironmans and I did some ultra running. And then after, I think, six months of uh, halfly doing nothing, I was approached by the owners of Cosperform, and I used to know them from my KPMG days already. And they've asked me to join their management. And yeah, quickly thereafter, I invested, I used my savings money as well. And now I am uh, actually appointed CEO, so I'm heading the company. It's uh, uh, yeah, beautiful transition in, uh, what is it, 10, 15 years' time. 
Well, it's lovely to hear, and I'm, I'm very proud that you made this, uh, really take, took this balance of just seeing what is needed from your point of view, and uh, just integrated that within your personal life and also in your business life. I'm very, uh, very good to hear. And it's also, you, it's like you said, you just pivoted a little bit around, but then you came back to your core competence while seeing and while knowing that, that consultancy is something that you're, you're love to doing and, 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 and building on. And I think now being appointed as a CEO, these are the capabilities that you can really use to your benefit and also use in your company. So can you please tell us about your company? What is their mission, their core competence and their values? Yeah, yeah. Actually, what we do, uh, our mission is to support anybody who is facing a challenge in their cost and performance questions. And those challenges can be very versatile. I mean, the most usual questions we get is i know that i am profitable bottom line in my company but i would like to know where my profit comes from so can you please help me to explain what are my most profitable customers or what are my profitable selling channels or my most profitable customer groups or products and so, so that is the, the most usual use case but a lot of those use cases are also a little bit i would say uh, linked to that. So uh, you could think of, okay, I need to uh, calculate my transfer pricing because I have business unit A in Asia and business unit B in the United States. And through regulation, I have to uh, set a good price between my goods and services between them. So please, can you help me calculate the correct price for that? Or another question could be, is I am a telco company. We have about 27 telco companies in our uh, portfolio. And I have, say for example, that I am Photophone and my clients are calling also, of course, to clients from KPN. So somehow I'm also using the KPN network and KPN is allowed to send me a little invoice for the usage of their network. I'd like to control what that invoice looks like and what it should look like. So there's a lot of regulatory cost calculations around that as well. So it's a lot of cost and performance questions. And we currently do that for about 450 clients in 45 countries. Well, that sounds very good. And you also mentioned that you're scaling up. So at, at what point are you scaling up if you already have so many different well, countries and also um, uh, world parts that you're uh, servicing now. At what, at what point are you scaling up? Is it more internally or is it externally? Can you please elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, the funny thing is, when I looked from an outside perspective to this company, I thought, well, indeed, what is it? At that time, we had for 350 clients and probably 35 countries, something like that. You would say, oh, they're actually a pretty good company already. Yeah, working, uh, working fast. But then all of a sudden, when I actually joined the company, it took me a little while before I realized that actually this company was only driven by the product and a little bit by the business model, but mainly around the product. And that's the only good thing we had at that time. So we had a beautiful product and uh, a lot of clients actually approached us instead of us approaching the clients. So what you should imagine is that we didn't have any marketing, we didn't have any sales, we didn't have even a, a CRM system, we didn't even have our administrative uh, uh, things very well in order. So there were a lot of things that were actually missing. There was not a real company, there was just a beautiful product that got sold and, 
uh, we had some, uh, what is it, a, a group of like five developers and maybe three commercial people uh, that would go around with this product and help them to implement it and help the consultants to implement it. But that's all there was. And in the beginning, I was pretty much frustrated on that because you should imagine we used our own mail servers. We didn't even have Office 365. Uh, we didn't even have... Uh, uh, yeah, like I said, not a CRM system. There was no access control of the software. There's a lot of things missing. Uh, and in the beginning, it's, it, it sounded to me as frustrating, but then all of a sudden I saw, oh, that's actually interesting. If we are already able to get a business running, running pretty well without all these things in place, what can happen if I would have all the other things in place as well? And that's exactly uh, what I started to embark upon a journey like I think uh, one and a half years ago now. So all of a sudden now we have a, a what is it, a client generating website. We have a, a full marketing materials. We have a sales squad. Our CRM is working. We have other things in place. And 2020 saw us grow with about 30 to 35%. So apparently something is working on that. On that end. Well, it definitely does. I think it's like you mentioned, just taking it from a business model point of view and just having from the marketing side of uh, things embarking and just in, in, in uh, designed uh, really benefited from your, uh, for your company. I'm just wondering how your competitors are reacting to this. Well, that's a good question because it's very difficult to pinpoint out who our real competitors are. Um, we are pretty much in a niche market. I mean, uh, uh, costing solutions is not something that you will find very easily uh, uh, anywhere. There's no Gartner quadrant on that. But still, there are some uh, uh, vendors out there that do similar exercises like we do. And those vendors could be either in the ERP space, so the real big ones like SAP, Oracle, Jenny AdWords. Those uh, somehow have modules that could do a little bit of the things that our software is doing. Uh, on the other hand, you have like the more generic parts like Ticketic, TM1, uh, Anaplan, which are more of an online spreadsheet situation, which of course is also doable to do some of the things that we do, but this really niche market, we haven't come across like real competition, which is difficult because it's very difficult to focus then on okay, what is the competition doing? What are we doing? On the other hand, it's also beautiful because you have your own niche. That was before some other comp competitor came into play. It's an interesting, um, interesting story to tell. Uh, we are doing cost and performance uh, questions and challenges for a complete company. So not for a part of a company, but from A to Z, we start with the general ledger where normally every company uh, stores its cost and then we help them to actually distribute those costs all the way down to their products or customer, whatever they want. There's a company called Aptio that came into play about six, seven years ago. And they said, we are going to help people solve a problem uh, that especially large companies have. And that is IT cost transparency. They gave it a beautiful name. It's called technology business management. But the whole basic idea was, is that you know, IT departments in the large companies like, I don't know, Wells Fargo, like uh, AT&T, like uh, uh, all the big ones, um, they have an enormous amount of spend 
And for business uh, uh, people, it's very difficult to rationalize the enormous amount of ice cream spent that is being uh, uh, is being seen. So what they have done, they said, why not make a solution that would help people to uh, get transparency in their IT cost? And we, we are looking at that. We were looking at first like, yeah, like if that's something new, we do that all the time. It's just part of the complete cost modeling exercise. But they have done, they've taken a completely different approach than we did, where we had a product focused approach. They have taken a market focused approach. So if they've uh, uh, spent a lot of marketing and a lot of uh, marketing on defining the problem and, and showcasing what the problem is all about and how they can solve it. And within, I don't know, what is it, two or three years, they were already, I think, with 10 or 15% of the Fortune 100. We're using Aptio for their, uh, uh, what is it, IT cost transparency. And now we're seven years ahead. And this company has just been bought, or just, I think it's one and a half years ago, just been bought by a venture capitalist for 1.9 billion US dollars. They were taken out of the market. So apparently they're doing something very well that we have lacked all these years. Well, I think it's like you mentioned, you focused on your niche. Um, and from their and, and their, their capabilities that they can serve the market from their perspective. So um, and also I think if I just hear this and and, and just see how what, what their recent trends are now in in the market is that they're focusing more on the data side on this and uh, taking that from that point of view, knowing what that from taking uh, not the knowledge from their clients and then exposing that to their showcasing that that will be probably their. Um, well, just their benefit, uh, well, if you would measure it against yours. But still, you have your niche market. So I think within your niche markets, there still are possibilities that you can innovate or that you can expand your business. Um, no, and, and, and to be honest, uh, I mean, I, I am very happy with this competition because what happens is that they have democratized actually this problem, this IT trend, and all of a sudden everybody is uh, looking at that. If you look nowadays, we have about like 50 client requests or what is it, a demo request per month on our website. And because of this big marketing machine that's called Aptio, uh, about 50% of our uh, requests are currently all about IT costing and are currently all about a comparison of our tooling against uh, Aptio. So we're, the wave that they've created, we're happily riding along. In that way so uh, yeah there's nothing wrong with that it's very good to have a strong competitor out there no i just i do do agree I, it was not that it's wrong it's just saying that they're approaching it from a different point of view but then yeah. like you mentioned it you can benefit from that and still like you have your core competence within your niche and uh, that makes that people are coming to you because they know that you're specialized within a certain field um so that is the point that i wanted to mention on this uh, is there, is there, um, because you implemented already and you have converted it already for over 30%, uh, is there a, a times uh, table uh, or do you think that you're now more or, or finalizing this implementation? No, 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 we're just starting. That's the way I look at it. We're just starting at uh, uh, at this uh, real growth path that I, I'd, see, uh, I'd see ahead for me. And the beauty about this is that you get all these different challenges when you grow and you see, we come from a background that we were uh, mainly on-premise focused. We're now making the shift to transfer all the way to SaaS focused, which in itself causes a lot of extra challenges as well. All of a sudden, you have to really 
um, think about your terms and conditions, your liability insurance, your uh, pricing is completely different in a SaaS situation. So there's a lot of things that we have to think about. I mean, we currently have like three people that we need to hire. Uh, I love the fact that not a single day is, uh, uh, what is it, is, uh, is the same. Uh, we are being approached current, currently ourselves by venture capitalists. So I'm be talking with, uh, uh, um, uh, what is it, investors uh, all the time. So there's, there's so many things that are happening uh, yeah, that I can really lose my energy every day. Well, it's like they said, it's never a dull moment in the office. <laughs> it is, it is. It's really beautiful, yeah. I think so. I was just wondering, you mentioned this, but um, the, to what extent is your organization or your uh, employees reacting to this uh, change and the implementation? And uh, can you please elaborate a little bit more on that, just from the yeah, process yeah, and your uh, employee side? Yeah, good question, good question. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, you know me a little bit from these 15 years and not so much has changed in terms of when I enter the room, there's a lot of energy in there. And that's a little bit what happened also within the company. When I, when I entered like three years ago, I actually found a company that had been, I wouldn't say asleep, but had been like very steady and the same over the last 15 years. And as soon as I realized the potential that we had, I really wanted to change a lot of things. Eh? And my first, I think, big mistake is that I really wanted to change it all at once. I thought, oh, this, we should be doing this, we should be doing this, and we should be doing that. And uh, that was just a little bit too much for <laughs> a lot of people. So I realized, oh, it's not that I get the machine back working again by really breaking the parts apart. I just have to put oil in the machine and then the machine starts functioning again. So I just take a lot more time than I actually had initiated uh, uh, it from. But now slowly and, uh, and uh, uh, definitely vividly, uh, a change is coming and people are accepting the change. Just to give you an example, uh, our, uh, what is it, development process was like very old fashioned, waterfall based, not uh, agile, not scrum. So I really wanted to go for a Scrum and Agile uh, development process. But one of our main developers, our senior developer, oh man, he really hated the effect. Oh, then we'll probably have meetings all day. That is what he, <laughs> uh, what he initially said. But I just took time. I, uh, I took a course together with him and we understood the benefits and the pros and the cons. And now he's like one of the uh, uh, one of you four fighters of the whole agile change that we are going through. I really love this, especially when you said it's not taking the, the engine apart, it's just giving more oil on the engine. <laughs> and then <laughs> people, it will start running eventually again. Um, you already mentioned that your biggest learning point then, I wanted to focus on that, but just can you please also mention your biggest success that you think now in the business is? Uh, I think the biggest success, there are actually two things. Uh, let me start with, for me, the most important. I think the most important one is, uh, yeah, know thyself. Eh? Uh, try, uh, use your talents, and I'd say that to everybody in the company and also I, uh, outside the company, set your own priorities, use your own talents, and you'll just have a nicer life in general, not only business-wise. And what really helped me, and I think uh, that is the good education that you get from a consulting company, that I had a lot of those 
uh, what is it, management drive courses and all these things to really learn to know yourself. And one of the things that really helped me is to prioritize my like my life. And my prioritization is very simple: succeed at home first, and then secondly is get my sporting done. So get my exercise and everything done, and at the third place comes work. So I have my priorities very clear, and I tell that to everybody: have your priorities clear, because that will make you successful as a person. And if you're successful as a person, you'll be successful as an employee. So that would be my first, uh, I think, my first and biggest success. Uh, what I would see as my second success is the ability to dream big. I mean. If I would have told the guys three years ago that maybe five years down the line an IPO could be a possibility, they would just simply laugh me in the face. But now, three years down the, down the road, they start to dream big as well. And all of a sudden, we are achieving much more. All of a sudden, we have like even bigger clients than we had before. Our average client size would be around like 20 or 30,000 a year. It's now been 70 to 80,000 a year. So that's really increasing that. Well, that's very good to hear and it just it's like you said it's just know thyself and just having your priority set and then have that rimpled out over your personal life and then it just really affects your uh, business life and that i really love that um you already mentioned mentioned it sorry about that uh but how do you balance then your work and your um your your, your personal life is still i think it's, it's it, it should be very busy um is that also by prioritizing or are there other things that you take into consideration? Now, it's mainly the prioritization that really helps. I mean, me, my wife and the, and the children, uh, we're pretty close on the, on the debt. So we always uh, have uh, what is it, breakfast together. We always have dinner together, especially in these COVID times where you don't travel that much because normally I would travel a lot. But uh, even then when I'm traveling, we do a lot of calling like Zoom and we already used to do that. And we always do a check-in. Okay, what do you want to achieve today? What do you want? Do you want your daddy to do something with you or not or whatever? So that's priority one. And then within that prioritization, it's always, okay, what is your sporting schedule? What's your exercise schedule today? So I would get in, I think, on average about 10, 10 hours of exercise every week. Uh, so that's priority two. And the time that's left is being spent on work. And uh, that's depending on what the agenda takes. Uh, but the, the prioritization is, yeah, it's really helping. Yeah. Well, perfect. And do you, do, does your family also engage in your sporting activities or is that separately? Uh, it depends. Sometimes, for example, I would go for a long run and then my son would go with his mountain bike beside me. So that would be like a joint effort. Uh, sometimes I would bring my daughter to athleticism, athletic practice, and then she would do one and a half hour of athletic practice. And I would just roam around that area in the woods and I would do a little bit of mountain biking and then I'd pick her up again. So there's always ways to combine these things, yeah. That's very good to hear. Well, taking the time into consideration, we have a couple of minutes and I really love this, this energy and this interview. Um, just for my question, for my side, and probably if Rihan has another question, please um, feel free to join. But my last question for this would be, what would you like to achieve more in life? You already mentioned that you're probably taking this company public, which is a very good achievement. Uh, but are there other comp uh, uh, well, objectives that you would like to uh, achieve or 
Uh, also something from your personal side, your human side, uh, what is your uh, so uh, social impact for, uh, for example? Please explain and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I, I think taking going public is not a, a goal in itself. It's just like this big dream endpoint, uh, which I really like to focus on. But if you, if you ask me when life would be like really successful, if I could spend um, not more time, but I could spend more money uh, on more, what is it, uh, environmental issues, and not so much environmental issues from nature side, but more from humanity side. Besides my work, I also run with a few friends. I run a foundation uh, all around getting girls in Ethiopia to university. And how great would it be if I could have like the cost perform foundation trust that helps the whole of Africa go to university. Eh? That kind of big dreams are uh, something that I that I can really engage for. But those are very beautiful dreams. And I think you were very much achieved that. Um, that is something, like you said, it's just not impacting all business-wise. It's all impacting from an environmental point of view. And also taking that from uh, what would you like to give and, and, and just um, well, share your talent in, the, in this world. And I really love that, that you're especially focusing on, on girls and, and their education. I find that very important. That's also my, uh, one of my objectives, having this academy where uh, girls can just uh, thrive, develop themselves, be independent, and just become very strong people in the world. Uh, that they're just, uh, that they're capable of doing their things and setting their priorities. Um, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful saying: If you educate a boy, you just educate a boy. If you educate a girl, you educate a family. That's true. I heard it before, and I really love that. Rihanna is also in, in this. Uh, he's um, well, he's building this orphanage in in Bangladesh. Um, so just from that point of view, I really love it that everyone is taking their impact and. Um, their capabilities, what they're, uh, what, and, and see what the world needs. It's like you said, we really need to build families, we need to build collaborations, and we need to build on um, a bigger world where we are able to think and create beautiful things together. Definitely nothing more to add. <laughs> well, we're just also within time, so time management is very tight on this. Is there something that you would like to say, just apart from anything else? Um, that you want to mention? And no, I think I'm fine. I, I really like the questions that we, uh, that you post, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is like the story that it's now, and it's uh, it's always been uh, what I would like to give away to everybody. Just uh, yeah, yeah, always try to be yourself. Uh, don't play any role or whatever. The authenticity is always the most fun part in your life, anyway. Totally agree. I totally agree. Well, it was very, I just really enjoyed having you uh, on this show again, uh, or again, and just meeting you again. That was very lovely to speak to you. I'm going to wish you all the best and the best of luck with your family, obviously, and your business. Uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, you just take care. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for joining our podcast, Consultancy Elite.